This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. Welcome back for another episode. We got some past guests on here and some good friends. We've got Justin Jaden back on the show. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having us on. I always like just BSing with you guys anyway, so <laughs> appreciate the chance to sit down and, and chat with you a bit. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Welcome back, Jess. All the J's. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing the J's back. Well, it's good to have you both back. I know that you guys work with the Wyoming Wildlife Federation, and we're here at the Wyoming Bowhunters Convention, or Bowhunters of Wyoming, so we thought it'd be kind of fun to sit down and get some updates from you and see what's been going on and what's new. Let's start with season. Right right out the gate, hunting season. How did it go? Oh, my hunting season was fantastic this year. Um, it started for me in July because I was in Scotland, so that was wonderful, but then came back in and... I don't know. Had a great, great hunting season. Didn't didn't put much down with a bow this year, but uh, certainly filled it with deer. And Jaden probably had, really filled the freezer this year. <laughs> we just had a lot of. We spent a lot of time outdoors with friends this uh, September, October, and that was really cool. I mean, just between the the two of us, we saw a handful of different friends of ours get like their first animal of a different kind or their first animal in general, and it was really fun. So we did a lot of. Uh, a lot of taken folks out that I don't think we had prioritized in years past, so that was really cool. And it was a lot of fun. There was a lot yeah. of laughter that happened. I still think uh, <laughs> one of our colleagues and one of the conservation ambassadors uh, for WWF saw his first bull elk come in close, and we had just the perfect setup where had a big old six-point bull come just bugling in at 50 yards or something like that. And we looked up, and I could just see Jake out of the corner of my eye. And he was shaking like a leaf. <laughs> like, it was great. I was like, could you have gotten a shot off? And he's like, he was a little too far, let alone the fact he's like, I was shaking too bad. I couldn't pull my bow back if I tried. <laughs> so it was, you know, those kinds of experiences. And it, that was just throughout the, the fall. Well, I'm glad to hear you guys yeah. say that because I've noticed a progression with Patrick of it's his, his photos he's sharing with me. Uh-huh isn't the big walleye caught or the big rainbow and he, he's gone out and he still does that right but it's him and his kids out doing mm-hmm. this trip or him and and same thing for me i mean it's right here on the back wall right for me this fall i didn't put a whole lot of inches on the ground put plenty of protein on the ground but i took a lot of beginners new people my own kids right and just had amazing experiences right more, more important than the inches was the experiences by far and it almost brings a whole other like it's a whole other reason to be out for longer, for seeing more. And, you know, we didn't kill that bull elk that came in, but you got to experience a new a new viewpoint. Um, and it's almost the same adrenaline as when I saw my first bull elk come in. It's like you yeah. just kind of relive your own firsts when you see other people's. And, and then you get to have these amazing experiences. One of our very good friends, Kayla, shot her first ever anything, um, shot a little a fantastic mule deer uh, spike and it was just one of the coolest things to be 
there for because because it didn't go perfectly and she had to work through and shoot again and there was you know some follow-up that had to happen and it was like you almost kind of hope like for the right people mm-hmm. that that's what happens because if your first time goes just dialed perfect then there's an expectation and when it doesn't you don't have the tools to handle that mm-hmm. but if you've got like the right people around and and it doesn't go maybe textbook um i think you end up we, we don't want hunter. it to go too far off the rails no, too imperfect no right? you don't want <laughs> too imperfect but you also don't want that perfect perfect one because in i mean i i feel like my first the first time i went hunting with a bow in my hand i shot a mule deer and like that's not how it goes (laughs) (laughs) and it was just i got very lucky but it certainly there was a steep learning curve after that where i was like oh this is actually hard (laughs) it's a challenge and that's why you keep coming back right there's there's something to it that's like man this is fun this is exciting and challenging yeah for sure (laughs) so well tell us a little bit about the legislative updates because i mean legislature just finished up not too long ago here in wyoming and i know there was a whole lot of legislation that affected wildlife so what are some of just kind of hit the main main topics i know the out-of-state hunting thing was a big deal so maybe start there yeah so you know they had two recommendations from the wildlife task force in front of them this year one of them was dealing with taking our preference point system into a bonus point system that died so that went nowhere nothing's changed um we're still going to have the same preference point system that we have until maybe next year uh i expect we'll probably see some licensing discussions throughout the interim session as well which is the time between sessions um then they had a bill the second recommendation in front of them was dealing with non-resident special draw prices so only in the special draw not non-resident overall so if you break it down um 60 of the non-resident tags go into sort of a regular draw 40 percent goes into a special draw this was only dealing with that 40 percent of the non-resident tags in that special draw and it was increasing the prices and they they cranked them way up mm-hmm. um but some of that is to sort of it's sort of in lieu of what i would say is maybe an outfitter draw or other things to actually reflect um a bump in opportunity that comes with that special draw and and Jaden knows the licensing system like the back of his hands if you have other things that you want to say around that but it just all it did was it cranked the price up and it it uh, passed so I have a question on that before you jump into that so uh-huh. does this put us more on par with other neighboring states and their out-of-state license fees Jaden I mean what's what's your thoughts on that for the most part this puts us more expensive than any of the other states okay um we were right up there with the special license before um with the the prices um compared to other states but now we're quite a bit above but that was their intent they were like we want to make you know i think the the tech the words that they used were we want to you know value our wildlife as much as we feel like they should be valued okay um and so that was some of the discussion around that and it's still going to leave that 60 percent in the non-resident draw that's not going to change so non-residents that are Mm -hmm. looking at putting in that lower price isn't going to change right now unless it's an inflation change and those lower prices are certainly either on par or a little less than other states so there's definitely you know kind of both ends of the spectrum that people can choose from the other thing um, that I was just going to add was, so we went to 9010 with uh, moose, sheep, and goat in 2023. Um, so this is the first year of that. But by doing that, they lost non-resident revenue in um, 
those licenses and those are expensive licenses for out-of-staters so this was you know kind of spurred into action as a way to make up that money that they lost um so that's where it started off in that wildlife task force conversation yeah i mean the non-residents certainly pay the lion's share of the wyoming game and fish department bills yeah and i think residents forget that because they they complain about non-resident hunters i mean i complain about (laughs) non-resident anglers too but but at the same time like they are paying the bills yep Yep. so i got to keep that in my brain too when i think about angling but yeah it, it 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 is tough, right? I mean, there is a challenge because, you know, we as residents want to have it all to ourselves, and that's just not the reality. There's there's just something with the non-resident resident sort of turf war that's happening that is sort of disturbing to me where it's like, you know, I'm a non-resident hunter in many other states. Mm-hmm. And in every other in state. Every, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I utilize it, you know. I, I hunt in Montana. I hunt in Idaho. I hunt in Vermont. I hunt in Wisconsin. Like... I, we leave these states to go be a non-resident somewhere else. And so to be as hostile when we're a resident as we are to non-residents, but it happens everywhere. It's not just Wyoming. It's just everywhere is having this turf war that's happening mm-hmm. rather than sort of being like, we're, we're all hunters. We all value this greatly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certainly I think there should be a price difference. I do think that residents should be getting a break, but this sort of turf war that's happening, that's driving animosity of, around non-residents is not healthy for the hunting population as a whole in my mind like it's just fracturing us deeper from an economic standpoint you know simply put i go to oregon or i go to montana it's a thousand dollars roughly for an oak tag right well i'm not just hunting out of my backyard on the weekends i'm going renting lodging hotel housing going out to eat sometimes i'm taking a family member right Mm -hmm. so now that might be a non-hunting family member that's in town spending hard-earned dollars on what a, all yeah. sorts of goods, right? Tourism. So, so just the revenue dollars from the tag is like maybe half of what the actual revenue to the state is, and we got to look at it. I mean, we all need we all we all we all need to eat, right? Yeah. And so these conservation dollars, and when I heard some of this starting of going from the ninety or the eighty twenty to the ninety ten on sheep, I. I can concur, right? On moose, we, we have limited moose. I would like to hunt a moose someday. Yep. Deer and elk, I'm, I'm going to fight you on that. And here's why. I, I think that very simply, as a resident Wyoming elk hunter, I can go get a tag. Mm-hmm. Bringing 40% non-resident in doesn't reduce my opportunity as a resident. Right? It really doesn't impact. Now, the, the moose does a little bit. The sheep, certainly, right? I'm... And that's just I'm going to be 100 like, years old when I get my sheep. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the amount. And really, you know, even if we were to go 90-10, it's not going to solve the problems that we're having. It's going to, the problems that we have is the supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And, and going 90-10 isn't going to solve that in any measurable way where anybody's going to notice 10 years from now that they have a significantly different chance to draw. Mm-hmm. Our problem is in habitat. Our problem is in like hooves on the ground. Our problem is in number of animals. Like, and that's where Predators. I start to get really frustrated about these like licensing discussions is that if the hunting crowd gave one-tenth of the energy towards habitat work Mm -hmm. and and fixing some of the policy around this that they do to licenses and fighting over the scraps we could build a whole other pie and have more animals on the ground sort of thing and it just feels like we're fighting over the crumbs right now rather than you know putting that energy somewhere where it's actually productive so i've had this thought and it's going to be a little counterproductive i guess but <laughs> <laughs> i, I want to yeah. it. <laughs> we know it's coming it's coming okay 
nationwide, I think sportsmen's dollars spent on tags to go to wildlife should 100% go to wildlife. I don't think any state should throw that funds in the general fund and then allocate money to wildlife. Mm. I mean, I think it should kind of be Wait, like the duck again. stamp. One more time. So, I think all the funds from sportsmen that go to a wildlife opportunity, mm-hmm. i.e. fishing, i.e. turkey tags, i.e. elk tags, I don't care resident, non-resident, any state that is collecting funds for wildlife purposes, that should be spent on wildlife. Right now, there are states oh, in the United States yeah, mm-hmm. that those monies go into the coffer, which is the general fund, and get spent on fire departments, roads, police departments. And I think those are all great projects and public works. And I want But wildlife resources should go to wildlife resources. Wildlife resources yeah. should go. And now, all of a sudden, this funding issue that we're fighting over of how we're going to fund this, it's gone. Yeah. And there, there's the well, next I'm, level is, if you're a birder, if you're going out to a wetlands taking pictures of a duck or you're, if you're a birder and you haven't bought a wetland stamp, shame on you. It, well, and it's a wetland stamp. It's, I think, you know, the ever controversial, for lack of a better way to put it, backpack tax. But that's not, uh, not to say taxing backpacks, but we need to look at how outdoor recreation as it is exploding right now, how it gives back into the wildlife management because that you know, is more no demands on happens, that resource there's yep. more demands and there's more disturbance on that resource and i've always been one you know i'm some of our optics friends are probably going to drag me over the coals <laughs> for this but i've always thought an optics was an easy in yeah because you want to you want to hit wildlife watchers you want to hit birders yeah. you want to hit you know anybody uh, Pittman, you hit it with that optics. Hits, hit optics yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting? So, talking back towards uh, legislative session, I actually think that this year there was an attempt, uh, I think a valiant attempt, to try to move us towards that by requiring non-resident shed hunters to have a conservation stamp. Mm -hmm. Now, how you enforce that or like what it actually looks like on the ground is is a different discussion. It's no different than a standard conservation stamp right you you, yeah, you just to have get a cons- they just said that like if you're non if you're shed hunting in wyoming and you're a non-resident you need to have a conservation stamp from wyoming on you same, i think i thing. think it should be for resident or non-resident you, you should tried. have your conservation stamp we tried it was actually that was that was what it started out as that and makes sense. uh the legislature amended out the uh, resident and and how much is a conservation stamp 21 dollars yeah they're so like expensive how much so is a tank expensive. of gas to go shed hunting and we're not talking easily be clear we're not talking $21 per trip we're talking $21 per annum yeah per year you pay 21 bucks it's a yearly life that is your hunting license in this state I mean and it should just be if you're out and recreating you know for those of you you don't have to be a hunter to buy these conservation stamps Um, you know a large portion of this dollars goes towards access work a large Mm -hmm. portion goes towards habitat and a large portion goes toward wildlife crossings within our conservation stamps so like if you care about any of that and you're here in Wyoming or you're not here in Wyoming paying that I think it's 2150 um, for that conservation stamp is a pretty like low barrier to doing something and it goes a long ways but yeah it's the the shed hunting thing was we'll see how they figure out how to enforce that yeah it was contentious but also I I think it was good to have the conversations that came out about it after it and you can buy a lifetime yes which We'll save you money over your lifetime. So buy it's, a it's lifetime the biggest conservation deal you'll ever stamp. buy is the lifetime I conservation got, stamp. I got mine for seventy bucks when it first came out. Oh, seventy <laughs> bucks. <laughs> and you guys know that I've I paid for that and my lifetime fishing, right? Like, yep. yeah, do that. Okay, you wham, paid you for that ten times over. Yeah, now. I mean, exactly. It's like you know, 
it's not that much money and it does go it's dollars back in to do the the work that we care about right mm-hmm. creating the habitat maybe fixing up the habitat like stream beds are a problem for angling there's there's lots of different projects mm-hmm. i mean we can talk about waterfowl stuff we can talk fishing stuff hunting stuff there's lots of things that need to be done but you're right everybody fights about the licenses when they should be thinking well what if i invested some money or my time and my effort into habitat this project it's right? always going to be like, habitat you can you can fill the gaps everywhere but the the very nuance of it is if you want more wildlife we need better and more habitat yep yeah so what else happened legislatively <laughs> well, that was like a big deal? We're, well, I mean, you know, speaking on the recreation f- front, mm-hmm. um, something we worked really hard on um, is there is a proposed uh, Wyoming Outdoor Recreation Trust. So you've heard of the Wyoming Wildlife Natural Resource Trust, WWNRT, and that trust is, you know, where we fund large-scale habitat projects, invasive grasses spraying, feral horse management. I mean, this thing does wonders. It is one of the best ideas Wyoming has ever had. And that actually got finally funded to its proposed minimum funding for the first time ever at $200 million. <laughs> um, so no, now hopefully we can be you know, as a trust, it functions off the interest and we can do grants and stuff through that. So they proposed a different trust that is based around recreation. So thinking what we can use for habitat with WWNRT, maybe we, you know, as we're building our communities and trying to diversify our revenue systems within the state, people are looking at more outdoor recreation. How do we handle that? Which is for me as a wildlife person and a hunter, actually quite scary to think about, about like how we're going to be utilizing outdoor recreation um, because of what we talked about. It's, you know, bikes disturb wildlife. Backcountry skiing disturbs wildlife. We we want to build this. Fly fishing fly disturbs <laughs> wildlife. <laughs> Should so, we say that again for Shireen if she's listening? Shireen, if you're <laughs> listening, <laughs> fly fishing wildlife. does have some impact when you're releasing fish. So no, I think we should have all that impact. I think it's great that we have people cross-country skiing and we need shed to build and fly fishing. But we need to build infrastructure to support that, mm-hmm. and we need to build and and how we do that is going to dictate how we use landscape and how we work on that. But part of what we tried really hard to do and unfortunately failed is to put a wildlife clause within that recreation trust that says, you know, as these grants come in, if you're applying for a grant, you need to go sit with your local game and fish and make sure that you aren't putting a bike park in the middle of, you know, winter habitat for mule deer or, you know, we have to be smart about where we're doing it. We're not saying no recreation. We're saying smart recreation. And it was in there until I think the last reading on the Senate side, and it got pulled out, not because they didn't believe in it, but because they wanted to restructure this um, fund in a way that was a little simpler. So that'll be going back into the interim session. So you guys will probably, you know, keep your ears out. You're going to be hearing about this um, on how they're going to structure this outdoor recreation trust fund. This is also going hand in hand. Speaking of fly fishing, Shireen, (laughs) uh, is they are going to be looking at dealing with commercial fishing guides and Uh. how we license them or don't license them. And there's going to be a huge discussion in the Travel Recreation and Wildlife Committee. So right now in the state of Wyoming, the state does not license commercial fishing guides um and that's been an issue in some of the 
quality of experience on a lot of these waters, like the Miracle Mile, the Green, the Snake, um, those sort of more popular Because anybody fisheries. could go do it. Yep. And they don't have to actually know what they're doing. Yes. And so, you know, it's less of a resource impact. It's more of a quality of experience impact. But mm -hmm. they're going to start looking at how they deal with that and working with the outfitters and guides and everybody to, to sort of figure that discussion out. It's kind of a funny story because sometimes people will be like, hey, Patrick, why don't you go guide me on this? And I'm like, you don't want me as a guide. I don't know how to be a guide. Like, I know how to go out and guide myself. Like, I am not going to guide you, you know, because I mean, really, there are things you have to think about safety wise mm -hmm. and all these other things. I'm like, I don't want to think about all that. But I mean, it is something that should happen, I think, uh, for the quality and also the safety of the people that come and want to do those kind of activities. Yeah. So fishing guides, perk your ears up on this one because they're going to need your input. And uh, I think they'll be looking at how the State Board of Outfitters is situated. I think they're going to look at what that license cost might be. So, you know, better to be at the table than on the menu. So get to the table. And maybe for those guides out there that I've had on the show or people that are listening, maybe there's a grandfather system for those of you who actually know what you're doing and if mm -hmm. you can show that you're proficient in it. But I do think that you would agree with me that the everyday Joe Schmo that goes, I'm going to be a guide on Flaming Gorge tomorrow, yeah. takes some people out on his 14-foot boat, gets sunk, and nobody has life preservers, and they all drown, that would probably be a bad thing. So nobody it's just some things liability. to think about, right? <laughs> like, and common I, sense. You're, you, you picked Flaming Gorge and, you know, Green River, like, as it comes into there, obviously. Yep. That whole stretch has a lot of Utahns that are guiding it, right? Yep. And, and they're not paying anything. Exactly. And you'll see that down closer to the Colorado border, too, on the, yep. on the plat and stuff. So, yeah, it's certainly like a, a place Glendo, where we're missing out. Glendo yeah. Reservoir for walleye. There's Colorado guys that come up and guide that. There's, yeah. there's people doing it all over the state, all over. Yeah. Keyhole. There's people yeah. probably coming in from out of state to do that, too. I don't know. Yeah. But. Well, and there was, you know, in the access and, and sort of opportunity discussion, big theme this year for the legislature was we've, we started referring it to it as the uh, trespass vortex because mm -hmm. there was so many trespass bills. Almost none of them passed. Um, I think, you know, something that we saw that was a consistent sort of misconception is that folks got uh, Chapter 6, which is our criminal trespass code, and Chapter 23, which is our hunting trespass, two very different offenses. And they got their wires crossed on them. And I think a lot of, we heard a lot of public comment that didn't quite understand the difference. And we heard, even within the legislature, some confusion on it. Um, most of those bills died. There was a couple clarifying bills that made it through that were really good. Um, and then the other sort of theme of this session was a lot of the state lands work. So how, how state lands functions. I think there's another a misconception I kept hearing is state land is not actually public land. State land is state land and it has a fiduciary, like it is, it is supposed to make money for our education, for our school systems. It has to do that. It is in our constitution that it has to make money. So it does go oftentimes to the highest bidder in that sense. So how we take in and how we work with state lands, how, because they are accessible to the public most of the time. Um, and you can hunt on them most of the time, but they cannot be treated with the same sort of like it is our right to be here that we can do with what BLM and Forest Service is um, because it isn't public land, it's state land, it is different. So we saw a lot of uh, a lot of bills dealing with transparency on how we do state land exchanges, which actually, you know, That's could probably thing. be a good thing. Yeah. We do want transparency in that. Um, you know, a lot of bills dealing with what we can do on state land, which is sometimes sort of concerning. You know, do we want to be adding uh, the ability to 
put residential leases on state land. Um, so you could build a house there and you're paying leasing towards state land for 70 year period, 90 year period or whatever that is. And then, you know, when you think about that, I'm thinking, well, okay, this is also wildlife habitat. We have to be smart about what we're doing, where we're putting this here. And so most of those bills died, but again, those are discussions that they're having is, you know, pretty nuanced, pretty in depth. And it's sort of hard if you're not paying attention to catch little nuances and especially in the trespass discussion, especially in the state lands discussion. It's a good subject to talk about. There's state land up there in Lander where (laughs) you two are at, where right behind where the new Maven building is, that enterprise park is state land. I can tell you from an economic development standpoint, because that's what I do now, it's like that would be a great spot to put some other things. And maybe they could look at doing a land swap or doing something to try to unlock that potential. But I think the state needs to look at that, too, of what state ground do we have that's really not good for much of anything except Mm -hmm. for maybe development? Deal with that, but maybe trade and get some other stuff that actually has some habitat, has some other uses on it that give it more potential. Right? Well, and I think where we're looking at, you know, because we're so embroiled, you know, with what's happening in the courts with corner crossing in Wyoming and everything, yeah. access yeah. is top of mind. Mm-hmm. But rather than wade in in a lot of the litigation um, that's happening, I think a really proactive stance is exactly what you're talking about right now. Let's start look at where we can do meaningful exchanges. Let's get rid of the stranded state lands. Um, you know, let's look at where they're landlocked. Let's look at where BLM is landlocked. Let's look at disposable lands. And yep. I use that as a actual term that's put in uh, resource management plans. Let's look at where we can find these places. And if we as a state, and, and this is something I think is really important to get to the hunting community out there is that if we're going to do this well, at some point, everybody's going to lose a little bit, you know, to find the right exchange. Yeah, you might lose hunting access in one place, but you're going to gain it in another. And the, the, the trick of doing that well is that net neutral. If you lose it, you gain it. We're not going to lose, you know, you don't want a net that, loss. That is the sign of the yeah. best deal is yeah. when both parties come to the table and both lose just a little just bit. Just a little mm-hmm. bit because both win just a little bit. Yeah. And But you have to give that um, negotiation some space to, to, to do that. Um, yep. And that's where, like, the hunting community... I love them for their pitchforks and torches, but sometimes <laughs> they're a little hot to a little hot out of the gate on that. Yeah. But on the other time, they're the exact right amount out of the gate, and they kill some good things that shouldn't go through. So. Yeah, we we've actually just recently had this same hypothetical of this state land that you were talking about. It, it's like right next to the cemetery. It's like right <laughs> between <laughs> development, and you're like, okay, I know, like, right? Like it's not really this, useful for much yeah. other than development. But yeah. then there's another state parcel that's on table mountain where mm-hmm. you could easily see someone wanting oh, to like build their mansion critical winter habitat for our mule deer that are yeah. desperately elk, needing it yeah. and that's and something you got to protect like, okay, right yeah that yeah. one let's not touch that one let's but put, this one, let's put yeah. more houses inside lander inside riverton yes. let's quit yes. putting houses in up. the sprawl yeah and that is a good thing because it supports the tax base for those towns mm-hmm. it helps those towns be stronger and more resilient mm-hmm. and it leaves the wildlife and the wild places alone which and, is why we like to live here want. in the first place exactly yeah. <laughs> have you guys what driven we've done, through what we've done is we choked that out and we've pushed everybody out of these communities and so they're building all over the place and it's like we're we're doing more harm than good mm-hmm. Have you guys driven through the Front Range in Salt Lake yet in the last decade? Oh, yeah. I just did, I think, last February, and it was... Mini California. Yeah. And and that is all critical mule deer habitat. And you look up on those benches, and it's not hundreds, not thousands. 
millions of homes going yeah. in yeah. in this year uber critical you know winter habitat i just was hearing about that like they call this uh, set of units wasatch back which is kind of yeah. right off the interstate and they saw like 70 percent doe deer mortality not fawns but actual adults and they're seeing elk mortality which is unheard of usually they can't eat concrete but exactly and that's kind of i mean what's that's under the, your whole that, house that, that's the punchline man yeah. well, concrete the more that we fracture these you know and, and totally guilty as the person like i really i'm a ranch kid i don't like living in town i don't Mm want to live with neighbors but there's also that side of you know when we're building and that sprawl is starting to happen and and this is where like the work of like the monteith shop and the migration initiative and these researchers that are figuring out exactly what happens when you displace like animals are you losing migrations are you losing knowledge you know i think probably what happened in lander way before um, we ever really had the science to say it happened is we probably landers herds are mostly residential herds they're not migra- they're non-migratory but we also have cut off what could have been migration um, routes because we have such sprawl into our foothills. You have three roads there that yeah. are and pretty much blocking all. We likely just lost the knowledge to, yep. to do that. So our, and our her, uh, deer herd has almost entirely always had the worst fat content of any deer herd in the rest of the state is in the lander area. Um, and it's likely their ac- access and ability to get to grasses and forbs that are green up. It's their inability, you know, to actually hit and utilize a lot of what the green wave is here. Yep. Um, and it's not saying that they don't. It's just saying that not enough do. Um, and that's where, you know, like when we think about building out and siting, zoning, mm-hmm. go to your city council meetings, go to your county yeah. commission meetings. Be involved. Be involved. <laughs> hear about where these zonings are going because it's super critical that we're thinking about what we're interrupting um, if we do want to have the big mule deer of the past. A year ago, we had Taylor Lashar from the Monty Shop on this show, and she was talking about how when, you know, say a doe mule deer gets killed on the road, that that fawn stops and stays. And so you've permanently at least for that deer kind of messed up their their track because they're used to following mom around and that's how they learn the migration patterns yeah they're really not instinctual it's taught and so it's we've done that for many years and you look at what's happened you know with the wildlife crossing in pinedale trying to fix some of that Mm because we talked about that many times how many deer were just murdered on that highway but up by dubois there's there's places all over wyoming where it's like we have these unintentional consequences of screwing up the migration corridors and migration corridors are a huge deal and we got to talk about that again like you said Jess citing you know zoning, I mean looking at how you're citing renewable and you know we always feel like as in wildlife we're always the no crowd of like no don't put that there oh don't put that there <laughs> but like you know it, when you think about it you're like okay we're going to be the same amount of concerned whether it's an oil and gas field a solar field a wind farm whatever it yep. is like none of them are particularly great for wildlife in fact i would say oil and gas tends to be the least destructive I would right say, now. Windmills, <laughs> thank you. I think windmills yeah. have been extremely disruptive. Well, and you look and at the solar farms, about it. those yeah. big solar peel- field um, ones where it's just a desert underneath those panels. Yep. That's, I mean, what happened down on the I-80 corridor with pronghorn was scary. Yep. You know, and when you're looking at the wildlife crossings, that Kemmer um, Highway 189, 189? That yeah. sounds right. Uh, and it's it's between Kemmer and Evanston, essentially, mm-hmm. and there's a wildlife crossing going in. They're working on the funding, so those of you that have pocketbooks bigger than you know what to do with, 
pull out that checkbook and write a write a check for the big deer of the uh, Wyoming range because that is Wyoming range wintering ground. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that's growing big in the southern Wyoming range is eating in that area and getting hit on that road. Um, as well as the Uinta deer herds. And that's sort of the next crossing. That's something that Wyoming Wildlife Federation is working really, really hard on and would love to see some funds raised around as well. That's great. Yeah, there's just lots of opportunities. Was there anything else, like legislatively, that Wyoming folks should be thinking about in non-residents too? Because we have about 50-50 Wyoming to non-Wyoming listeners. So, Mm. I think um, one of the things that became more adamantly clear this year than I think in previous years that Jess should expound upon is the fact that when you have a really good relationship with your legislature, legislator, your elected official, mm-hmm. you can actually have a good conversation with them and discuss something that matters to you rather than if you're just like off to the side and you just yell at them every now and then when you want them to vote a certain way. That <laughs> as doesn't much work as we super like well. To yell. <laughs> yeah. And the beauty of living in Wyoming is that you can go have coffee with every single yeah. senator or you know representative that is in your local district. So um, that's something I think that we yeah, took, build those took away. relationships and build them now, not yeah. during session. Build them when you can yeah. go grab a piece, you know, piece of pizza, coffee, sandwich, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think you know to tease a little bit of what'll happen next year. You know, this what we just went through was a general session. It was an eight-week session nearly 500 bills <laughs> was a lot um, in a short amount of time. Next year, it'll be the budget session. So it's where we're going to deal with all of like how the state runs and what it runs on. Um, it's only four weeks. It is Every bill that gets introduced is going to need a two-thirds vote. Um, so not even just a majority, but a super majority. And uh, so don't be surprised if you don't see a lot of stuff coming up and going, people are being real strategic about what they bring. Um, it's going to be mostly budget discussions. One thing though that Wyoming Wildlife will work on, because we did not get it through this year, um, is we're taking a look at how we present ourselves as a hunting community in the large carnivore hunting realm. We're in the middle of working to get the grizzly bear delisted. We are working yep. our tails off to get this bear delisted. And we want to get it delisted through the Endangered Species Act because if we do it congressionally, then we are sort of throwing the ESA and all the good things that have happened because of that and out I want the to window. Touch on that, you know, is yeah. delisting these bears is not a bad thing. No, it's so good. It's it, so it shows needed. that the success. ESA is working. This is a success <laughs> story. The it bear is. the grizzly bear is to a manageable point that it can come off the list. That is the whole reason this list exists, exists is to get animals off. This is not a perpetual safety net. <laughs> so the people that have been abusing it and sticking whatever spotted tree frog on there and we're going to perpetually <laughs> protect it, I, I'm, I'm it, livid, right? Let's, it's not let's a perpetu- perpetual protection. The per- and the thing is, is, is and, and the part of the messaging that really drives me nuts is when they say that it's losing protections. The bear does not lose protections when it comes off the endangered species list. In fact, I would argue that the Wyoming Game and Fish Department is so sensitive about what's going to happen. They, they're, they are, they're going to keep closer watch on a lot of these bears. They are going to be able to respond faster when bears are getting in trouble that can help prevent bears from getting in trouble multiple times where we have to euthanize them. The last hunt we were going to have I was going to be a maximum of 24 bears harvested. 22, yeah. 22 bears, right? Two cell, two units, one cell each mortality and, and quota. The, the regulations around it were like tight. so tight. I mean, so it, it was... In, in real world numbers, it wasn't going to be 22 bears. It was going to be a dozen. Probably, yeah. How many bears do we remove annually 
in this state. I think currently. we've had years within the 60s. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, say, 62 think, is the top of my head. Yeah. I think Dan so, was saying it averages in the 50s. Yeah. Okay. So it's about so 50 a year. We as a state of Wyoming are removing 50 bears annually per year, and we are paying for somebody to do that. We have a group of people that is waiting in line to pay to remove those bears. Which would probably, you know, when you look at what it takes to monitor a hunting season, I would caution saying that it's a... Oh, we're going to lose money. That you we're going to make predators. money on it. But what we money. are going to do is we're going to utilize hunters in a way that hunting was meant to be utilized as a management tool, as as an opportunity, um, you know, and and... It's, it's the way that our North American model of conservation is set up is to be used this way. So in the effort, as we're looking at delisting of grizzly bears, and it's something that, you know, WWF is very interested in seeing happen, um, we are proposing two sets of bills. And this is to say, all right, there are things we can do better as a state as we talk about large carnivore hunting. Um, one of them is to stop calling them trophy game. <laughs> It's just a language change, mm -hmm. and trophy is a just as I am working in this world of delisting and talking about large carnivores on the national stage. I don't care what you want to argue is good or bad about trophy hunting. The very bottom part of it is that the word does no longer means what, what it we, used to what mean. it used to the mean. The perception is all negative when it's you say all it. negative, and it doesn't so, matter. So, what who is the proposed to. change to large carnivore? Yeah, and we can't even get this passed, right? Well, it ran out of time. It, <laughs> That's my I point. Think it yeah, will. I it think ran it out of time. It will. I think it'll pass, but it, it this year because of all of the new legislators, things yeah. went a little slow. There's a lot of discussion. And yeah. case in point, it things should progress slowly mm -hmm. because the things that sh merit changing, you know, I don't want that to be a quick. You know, I don't want it to be a news blurb on Monday. Yeah. On Tuesday, it's voted on, it's changed, and all of a sudden, we just banned hunting. One well, is right? pretty car like common knowledge amongst lobbyists that it you know you very rarely get your bill through the first year you run it. The roadkill bill that made it legal yeah. to pick up roadkill in Wyoming took five separate bills um, to bring through, and and it's good because you yeah. you flesh it out as it comes through. The second one we'll be bringing for a second time deals with wanton waste, um, yeah. and this is this will be dealing ten thousand dollar fine in Alaska, by the way. Well, and here's <laughs> the thing: is is it's it's it is most hunters that I know that are hunting bears and lions are packing them out already. Yep. But our statute says we don't. So when we have a grizzly bear hunt proposed, where we call them trophy game. We leave their carcass in the woods, and we're only requir required to take a rug and a head. Of course, we're getting raked over the coals as trophy hunters, yeah. and we've lost the science and the discussion because it gets pulled into a motion and get embroiled in that. I'm not saying this is going to fix that. All this is going to do is give Wyoming a leg to stand on yep. when we're arguing for and this delisting. There's nothing wrong with the meat. Come no, on. It's like, fantastic. Utilize the meat. Like I've learned that black bear is really tasty. I would love to try grizzly bear someday think like any it's bears crazy. they can be good and they can be yeah. bad and it's just kind of depends we served uh we served black bear and mountain lion at the legislative sportsman's reception how'd that go it went really well actually it was, it was yeah. oh man it was like bear comb feet on a nice. like hawaiian roll and it was very decadent um and cool. yeah uh we will let's see next year i don't know what we we started out serving roadkill when we did the roadkill bill we served bear and lion as we did this one i'm really gonna have to up the ante next year we'll see <laughs> no it's exciting because what you're doing is you're bridging the gap between the people who are making law and the rest of us who are trying to hunt and preserve and mm -hmm. conserve and be good stewards of the land and so i think that's a beautiful way of doing it because yeah. you're pulling them in and that's really the idea is 
you don't have to have everybody go hunting. We've talked about that. We probably don't want everybody yeah, no, hunting. No, you certainly but don't. <laughs> what we do want is we want people to be okay with the fact that we're hunting. Well, and, and I think past being okay with the fact of hunting, I think what the really beautiful part of that is we want people to know where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you eat meat or whether you eat just vegetables, you have an impact, you know, a, a kale field kills as many deer because it's a monoculture as a deer hunter. Um, and so it's everybody to live is to have impact in that. And I think all we're trying to do is draw the line that, you know, to live, we have to take and to take, we have to be smart about it. Yep. No, I think that's great. You've summed it up really well. <laughs> and I'm excited about that. I, I would love to see what comes of the grizzly bear you know, saga, as I call it, because I've watched it my whole life, living here my entire life. And I remember when grizzly bears were next to gone. That's not the case anymore. And there's a lot of bears getting in a lot of trouble and having to be put down. And it would be nice if we could actually have some, some hunting. Also, I think, you know, for the bears themselves to have a little bit of fear, man, might be a good thing in some areas because they don't have it. Yeah. It'll take a while for that. You know, you know, with wolves, it's different because, they are usually in packs, and when you shoot one, they recognize, they, know. they see. Mm-hmm. With bears, they're mostly independent, and we're certainly not advocating for shooting moms with cubs. No, no, no. So, no. so what you might end up doing in a hunting season is rather than teaching them a fear of man, what you're going to do is likely take out, after many generations, the little boulder of the bears. That, that's what yeah. I was going to concur. Yeah. Is the boulder bears that are prone to get in trouble anyways yeah. are the ones that are a little more easy accessible those yeah. those shy bears are gonna be deeper in, that's what we in, want yeah. we want shy bears yes we do uh, <laughs> i don't want the aggressive one chasing after me no i don't <laughs> there is a night and day difference between an interior grizzly in alaska and an interior grizzly here in wyoming night and day in their behaviors and yeah. as we've talked with dan just their their food consumption interior grizzlies in alaska are eating a large diet of berries with some ungulate you know protein sources our bears right here in the GYE, 80% ungulate dependent. Yeah. As and they're as eating, what's the other thing? It's like white pine or There's so, or white pine and the moth sites are really yeah. thing. But, the, you know, the beauty of bears and what I think is so cool about them is that they adapt. They what, they, what they found, I think the original reason that they were relisted, um, not in 2017, yeah. but the 2007, 2007 maybe. I don't yeah. remember when the first time they tried was was because of a worry over if we lost a food source, were we going to lose those bears? And what they came back and found was that, no, like, they're going to find, they will find food. And life by come back and find, mm-hmm. we yeah. had our wildlife biologists out there taking hair samples, going yeah. out, darting, collaring bears, checking their fat content, following that bear for a year and going, oh, when food source A is missing, guess what? They got a food source B. <laughs> wow, we spent millions of dollars to find this out, but there's scientific evidence that yeah. that is the case this is and an that emotion. is the science-based management tenant of the north american model of yeah. conservation right there and that's what we want we don't want it to be managed by feelings and emotion we want it Patrick, to be managed by science i don't like walleye i like rainbows <laughs> right let's, i'll let's, give you more rainbows <laughs> you know what i mean all right all right as the lobbyist though i am going to push back on that a little bit because we have to have the emotion because a lot of our sure. wildlife is managed by statute which is politics. True. And yeah. I can tell you it's not the science that's doing that. It is well, the stories that people are telling. And we need more people to go tell. You know, I always say that policy is this pyramid. And on the bottom of the period, pyramid, the structure and the strength of the pyramid is science. Yeah. That is the biological science. It is, it is what we know. And what comes up from that in the middle is the science we often forget about, which yeah. is social science. That's important because... 
yes, you know, you can reintroduce the grizzly bear. Of course, they're probably biologically sound to go in a lot more places in the state than they are. But the social science carrying capacity is not there. So we put the bears where they're biologically sound and hopefully tentatively where they're marginally socially sound. And at the top of that pyramid is the point that's the politics. And so if you're missing that biological one, you're building a pyramid that doesn't have a good structure. If you're missing the social one, you're building a pyramid that does not have a good structure. So you can't do from the top down, you know, I'm looking at you, Colorado and your ballot wolf reintroduction. You should not be doing that. How about California and the grizzly bear (laughs) on their state flag and not one grizzly bear in their state? But there's agencies and organizations that are in that state that are listed on those lawsuits to keep the bear on the ESA. My suggestion is let's just start loading the bears in horse trailers instead of euthanizing them and only the problem <laughs> we bears. We passed a bill like that a and couple of years ago. We could do that. There's, a, there's an allowability for that for, within Wyoming. But so it's always saying that like it's not saying that reintroductions are bad. It's that they need to come from the, the biological part. They yeah. have to have the social. They have to have to have the social support and then they have to have the politics and if you're missing yeah. any one of the three it's not a good piece of so policy. So to that point You're exactly right. Most people don't make decisions based off logic. They base it based off of emotions, not what makes the most sense. It's what they're feeling at that time, right? Your walleye are eating all my rainbows, Patrick. Oh, I know. It makes them so much better. (laughs) (laughs) But to the point, the wolves are eating all my elk. And the grizzly bears are eating me. Or yeah, attempting or to. Or attempting to, yeah. No, but I, th- I think it's a good discussion to have, and I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds. I'm optimistic, I, slightly. I think it's good to be. I I, think I'm always be. nervous just because the judges typically will step in with some kind of injunction. You know, these things happen fairly regularly, so I don't try to get too excited because I'm like, well, we'll see what happens. But the science is there, and hopefully we've developed enough case studies, scenarios, done enough talking back and forth that we've built enough relationship that we can get it done. Well, and I think looking at it in a balanced way, you know, what I witnessed a lot the, fir- the last time that they went for a delisting and a lot of the public meetings, you know, it's good to be passionate. It's bad to be emotionally passionate in the sense of like, you can't stand up and rake our scientists over the coals and express, expect anything else. We have, I mean, Dan Thompson and his large carnivore crew are some of the the best in the world, Absolutely. really, and and they're working, they're they're doing this and they're working on this not because they hate the bear, but because they have, they, I mean, they went and got PhDs around large carnivore science. You don't do that unless you really care about something and you really want to work for something. And and so in these public meetings, whatever side of the aisle you are on, recognize that the people working on this are working on it because they care, not because they're some larger government entity that wants to like have nefarious whatever. But on both sides of the aisle, like, walk back the emotion and go sit down at the table and talk again. Because, you know, sure, we may have a grizzly bear hunt, but it may not be the most bears that we could, you know. Wyoming, our mortality and the way that we, we looked at our last hunt, we said, yep, we can, we can hunt 22 bears. So we went out and we proposed 22. It may be that this year or this next time we have to be social carrying capacity structure we have to be smart about it let's maybe do we two. just do two maybe we do 10 maybe we do whatever right. but let's be smart about mm-hmm. how we roll this out on the social side let's support the science and and sit at the table and be willing to sit at the table because right now this bomb logic lobbying that happens across you know this line drawn in the sand is doing good only for the people and doing no good for the bear yeah 
yeah, because the bears are getting in trouble. And, <laughs> and they're getting removed either way. Yeah. Infanticide's a huge issue. You know, we talked to Dan about that. You know, you've got grizzly bears killing grizzly bears yeah. at this point. And so it's like, they're you know, running gotta, out of food. We got to think about this. You know, it can only handle so many. So. No, I think it's great, and I think the work that you guys are doing is awesome. It's always fun to see you on the socials, to see you in articles, Cowboy State Daily, all these different places. I'm like, <laughs> hey, there's my friends at WWF again. They're doing stuff. So, no, I just want to say thank you, you know, from Radcast, you know, for all that you're doing and for being active and contributing, actively contributing towards wildlife management and putting your money where your mouth is. I think that's great. Oh, thank you. You being here today is part of that, right? Oh, we had this discussion last week at work. It's like we have such a hard time ever parsing out what is work for us and what we're doing for fun. <laughs> so, like, we yep. would have been here this weekend at Bowhunters Wild. But it's because you like, love it. Yeah, and yeah. that's why we're doing it. And we that's certainly aren't doing it to make any. Uh, we're just a bunch of hunting nerds. Yeah, we're not doing it to get rich. <laughs> that's that's for dang sure. Well, I'm glad you guys are out there because yep. you know I'm on the road and I'm not sitting down reading policy. I'm not listening to the legislative session and going, oh, this new bill was proposed, but I am following what you guys are doing and go, hey guys, uh, they're proposing this and we want to vote no. And I look through the cliff notes and I go, yeah, I don't like that either. And I don't, I appreciate it because I don't have the time to go over yeah. there and sit with it's those guys. It's a critical guys. function, really, because without you guys, a lot of us would have no clue of what's going on. Kind Honestly. of the canary in the coal mine, so keep it up. Because oh, I appreciate that. if anybody has been on here and, and read legislation... I mean, you read it for about two seconds, your eyes pop out of your head, you start to bleed <laughs> profusely. I mean, it's, it's hard to do. So the fact that there are people in this world that can do that and not have that happen, I think that's great. And oh, it <laughs> happens. It's just I'm held together mostly by whiskey anxiety and a little bit of Red Bull right now. Uh, I like that. I like well, that. if somebody wanted to get a hold of you guys, what's the best way? Wyoming Wildlife Federation. We're on all the social medias, um, yeah. Facebook, Instagram. Um, the other thing, at wyomingwildlife.org is our website. And we have so much information on there that I have, I'm still working to get it out to everybody, but from legislature to habitat projects we have coming up, um, places people can volunteer and get involved like just go check it out on the website spend a little bit of time on there yeah i think yeah. I, organizations have seen a drop in volunteers on habitat projects um and i would say i think it correlates with the louder hunters argue about licenses the less show up to habitat projects so we really need to turn this around <laughs> we, we need to make get this settled <laughs> we and need move to go on the other way uh, hulk smash i'm mad i don't want to do it exactly. you know? <laughs> if i'm not getting my deer tag i'm not helping so, I, I can i can hop on that bandwagon yeah. Yeah, so we need to see we need to see more folks out on those. Whether it's a WWF Habitat Project or any of the other organizations out there doing really yeah. fantastic work, um, mm -hmm. look at it this year, you guys. Please please sign up for at least one, and it doesn't matter if it's ours or or any of them. But supporting that habitat is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. and I want to give a big shout out to you, Hunt Area stuff. I've seen you've been putting a lot of stuff out there on hunt areas and researching and doing all your homework. So if you want to follow Jaden, he's you the get guy. some good information <laughs> on where to put in for your hunting. Oh, if, if you want to kill go. really big elk, the Colorado has the highest yeah. number of elk. Go to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> but I would be remiss in not mentioning uh, PK Lures. So if you are going to go catch your walleye or rainbow trout, check they them work. out. They're a great sponsor. And uh, when you do catch that walleye or trout or mountain lion, grizzly <laughs> bear, hopefully, uh, even deer elk, high mountain seasoning check them out too oh, also yeah. but if you get the walleye david just said he doesn't want it so i'll take it you can give him all the trout and i'll take the walleye how's that sound <laughs> oh, that's awesome. just kidding just kidding and check out bowspider.com get your bow spider put it on your pack and go so 
Anyway, is there anything else that you guys have for us? No, thank you guys for being here. Yeah, you guys are always supporting these Try different, it. you know, Get conservation. Get out good information. Yeah, yeah, these conservation programs and nonprofits, whether it's WWF or Bow Hunters of Wyoming or whoever, you know. And You, so you look at the two it. photos here on the back wall behind us, and if you're watching this live on YouTube, you can check them out. You know, this is what Patrick and I, this isn't a hobby, right? This is yeah, this is lifestyle. who we are. This is a lifestyle. This is the way we live. And, and those photos, the smiles on those kids' faces. We started this podcast talking about, yep. you know, yeah, I don't have a bunch of inches this year on the wall. I didn't kill anything big. I took a bunch of people and went on a bunch of cool yep. adventures. And I have the photos to back it up and the memories. And that's when we boil this all down to everything. Policy, legislator, wildlife inspire tags. Kid. Inspire yes. a kid. Take a kid outdoors with you next time. And I've got four in my house and that little guy back there, he can't wait to do hunter safety. His two oldest sisters are doing hunter safety this next month and they're gonna so they're I'm gonna doing be going the big game. course next month. Okay, yeah. cool. See <laughs> and so they're gonna <laughs> go on their again. first they're gonna go on their first big game hunts, the two oldest girls, so I'm really excited. Oh so. that's gonna be that's so cool. Yeah. If they can draw some antelope tags, uh, both spiders gonna help out to tell their story after season. Well we'll do our best. We'll do <laughs> our we, best. we gotta get uh, yeah we, we gotta get the work done. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they draw some good we're gonna put them in for some doe antelope I'll tags. be calling you, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. All right, sounds good. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, bow spider, and high mountain seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.